Well, if you've been with us, we've been uh, going through a Christmas series that we're calling Songs of Christmas, and we're basically looking at the original Christmas songs and the original Christmas stories sung by the original uh, Christmas cast, and um, two weeks ago we looked at Mary's song, last week we looked at Zachariah's song, and this morning we're going to look at uh, what the NIV calls the, the song sung by the great company of the heavenly host, uh, aka Heaven's Choir. Presumably a group of angels, and I think we got a good visual today of what that might have looked like. Um, uh, so we're going to jump right in. So we're picking up in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. It's the night that Jesus was born. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, uh, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13, here we go. It says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Uh, one day, when I was in high school, I was at the beach with uh, a group of our friends, and, and a couple of us were out in the water, and we're just swimming, body surfing, messing around, having a good time. And at some point, I began to notice that I was a little bit deeper than I, I thought I was. And I looked upon shore, and one of my other friends was on shore, and he was standing there waving us to, to come in. So I did exactly what they tell you not to do, and I put my head in the water, and I tried to swim straight to shore, and, you know, I began to notice, like, it's not, it's not working, it's not getting me any closer. At some point, I, I noticed a lifeguard coming down from her tower and making her way in our direction. Before I even know it, she's right in front of me. She's holding out her buoy, and she's saying, hold on. Now, her coming down her tower, swimming out to me, holding out the buoy, inviting me to hold on. On one hand, that was a statement that said a lot about her, right? She was obviously a trained professional. She was a, a really strong swimmer, first aid certified, kind, selfless, willing to put herself in harm's danger, right, to, to help others. So her being there said a lot about her. And at the same time, her being right in front of me, offering a buoy, inviting me to hold on, it was a statement that said a lot about me in that moment, right? That I, I, I needed help, that I was in trouble, that I wasn't able to get myself out of that situation. And how I understood my situation would drastically affect how I responded, right? So long story short, my first response is like, no, I got this. Like, I'm good, I'm good, to eventually holding on and being dragged to shore. You see, Jesus coming to earth, coming to be with us, live amongst us, on one hand, it's a statement that says a lot about God. It says about a lot about who He is and what He's like and His power, His character, His, His compassion. At the same time, Him coming to earth to be with us, it says a lot about us about who, who we are, what we are lacking, what we are in need of. So when the angels declare peace to those on whom his favor rests, what's implied is that Jesus is bringing something that we are lacking. 
that we are in need of. Now, throughout Scripture, this idea of peace that stems from the Hebrew word shalom, it, it means so much more than the absence of conflict. It actually carries the meaning of wholeness and completeness, uh, a harmony and prosperity, right? It's something that is both felt internally and also experienced externally, right? It's something that we feel emotionally, mentally, but also we experience relationally with people, with, with creation. And what, for, for, for the shepherds, right, for, for the shepherds hearing this, right, this, this proclamation of peace, there, there would have been a lot of things that would have immediately come to mind, right? Perhaps freedom from the oppression that were, they were facing, freedom from poverty, freedom from discrimination, right? all the things in their life that, that, that brought about a sense of fear and worry, stress, frustration, anger. And while Jesus coming to earth would provide a way to significantly address those areas, the, the kind of peace that Jesus came to bring first and foremost was peace with God. And the, the, what's implied is that apart from Jesus, uh, there is no peace with God. That apart from Jesus, there is actually hostility between us and God. And I don't know, a lot of times when we, we consider the Christmas story, baby Jesus lying in the major, the, the thing that comes to mind is not necessary hostility between us and God, but that is what Jesus came to address. Scripture tells us that because of sin, right, that because of things like distrust and disobedience, because we are prone to wanting to be our own gods or turning to other gods, because we oftentimes value created things far more than the one who created them. Because we take God for granted and fail to give him the credit that he deserves, that we take on a posture of hostility towards him. See, throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus would demonstrate how things like pride and greed and lust and unforgiveness and indifference towards those in need, just to name a few, how those things were deeply offensive to God. And the question for people in Jesus' day and the question for us today is, do we recognize those things in our life and acknowledge our need for a Savior? Now, when I was in college, I had a friend uh, who was extremely ticklish. And when I found out that he was extremely ticklish, there were times where I took advantage of that information. Uh, there were times where we'd be heading back to somebody's apartment complex and we'd waiting to get in the elevator and we'd step into the elevator, we pushed the button that we're about to go, and as soon as that door closed, you know, I had like 30 seconds, you know, strapped with me. I remember one time a group of us went to Disneyland and we were in line for the ride Autopia. Remember that ride? And as we got closer to the end of the line, I walked up to, to my friend, and I was like, hey, I'm not feeling too good. Do you mind if I just ride with you? He's like, yeah, sure, come on. And we get into the car, and, you know, we're not skinny college students at the time, and we buckle up, and as soon as we go, like, I, I got three minutes, right? Where <laughs> it's just, and the car is just like, And I never thought much of it. I just thought it was, like, you know, funny, harmless fun, laughter. But it wasn't until, until years later, about five, six years after we graduated, we were 
group of us had gotten together. I was sitting across from him eating dinner. And I don't remember the topic, but at some point he looked at me and he said, for the longest time, I hated you. <laughs> right? And he was, he was, he was serious. Right? He says, what, what you did was embarrassing. It was humiliating. It was hurtful. And you see, there, there, was, there was a part of me initially that wanted to, to be defensive, right? To be like, like, I didn't intend to do that. It was just tickling, not a big deal. You know, but what I had to acknowledge is that it didn't really matter what I intended. Right? It didn't matter what I communicated. And those things that I did were hurtful. It was deeply offensive and humiliating. You see, what God says is offensive. What he says is hostile towards him. What is sinful, do, do we recognize? Do we acknowledge that it's, it's sinful? That it's offensive and hostile? Yet the, the good news of, of Jesus is that before we could even answer that question, God sends Jesus to, to live amongst us, to be with us, to demonstrate the love and the compassion that he has for us. That he did not come to judge, he did not come to condemn, but he came to provide a way for us to have peace with God, to receive forgiveness, to receive redemption and reconciliation. Uh, Jesus says in John 12, 47, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That even though we were hostile towards God, even though we were enemies to him, his love for us never weakened, it never wavered. And that even though Jesus was perfect, even though he was sinless and flawless, he would go to the cross to pay for our sins, endure the punishment that we deserve, making peace with God available and attainable to, to anyone who would place their trust in him. And to those who place their trust in Jesus, right, all of our sins, past, present, future, forgiven, washed clean. We are declared righteous in the sight of God. We are adopted as sons and daughters. We are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And we are made worthy of his favor and rest. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A year and a half ago, I had the opportunity to serve on missions overseas in the Middle East. And one day when we were there, we were uh, walking through one of the neighborhoods, uh, just praying and looking for, for people to meet. And we came across an elderly gentleman, and he's just sitting in this lawn chair in, in the front of his driveway. As we uh, approach his house, he kind of he looks at us like, what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing here, this group of foreigners in his neighborhood? And we pull out our little language books, and we do our best to communicate that we're tourists. He immediately gets out of his chair, and he opens up the, the gate to his driveway, and he, and he tells us to come in. His wife comes out of his house, his, his college-age daughter, that she comes out, and they put out some chairs, and they immediately bring us water and tea and watermelon and sweet bread, and, you know, we're just having a, a sweet time of just trying to, to communicate and, you know, dialogue with each other, and their daughter could speak a little bit of English. At some point, they pull out their phone, and they FaceTime a relative in Michigan, you know, and we're, we're talking through this relative, and, and it was really a, a sweet, sweet time. You know, they invited us to stay for dinner, to sleep over if we needed a place to stay, but it was getting late and it was dark and, and we needed to head back. 
So we exchanged our goodbyes, and as we got up and we began to leave, I noticed that the older gentleman began to walk with us. And immediately, you know, we gesture, you know, doing the, the Asian thing, like, oh, no, 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 like, like we're, we're, we're okay, you, you sit down. And he, he turns to his daughter, and he says something, and she looks at us, and she says, it's not safe. You know, nighttime, it's not safe. And it's like, oh, by all means, come with, <laughs> you know. And as he's just walking with us, and it's about a half mile just for us to get to, to the cabs, right? I was just so touched by this picture of this man with us, right? He's not talking because we can't communicate, but he's just walking with us and, and watching us. And on one hand, it was just this powerful picture for me of perhaps our ignorance in getting ourselves in this situation, but more importantly, of, of his kindness, right? Of his genuine concern for our well-being. See, Jesus coming to us, to be with us, to, to live amongst us, it is a reminder of just how much God deeply cares for each and every one of us. That He came not because we, we earned it, not because we deserved it, not because we, we asked for it, but because God knew that we were in need of something that only He could provide, which was peace with him. I want to close with this verse, Romans 5.10. It says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? What, this per what Apostle Paul is saying is, if God did all that he did while we were sinners, while we were enemies, how much more does he want to do for us now that we are forgiven? now that we are adopted as sons and daughters. As we uh, close our time this morning, you know, where, wherever we are in our faith journey, wherever we are in, in our relationship with God, our hope and our prayer this morning is you would be reminded, you would be encouraged, you would be perhaps convinced, reassured that there is a God who deeply loves you that there is no sin that is too big for him to forgive. There is no challenge, there is no obstacle that is too great for him to, to overcome. That by faith in Jesus, we, we, we get to be forgiven, washed clean, declared righteous, adopted as a son or daughter. And because of that, we can have hope. We can have confidence knowing that we have a God who is always with us, always for us, who will never leave us, never forsake us, that there is nothing that we could ever do that could ever get in the way of his love for us. And because of Jesus, we get to have peace with God. Because we get to be, as the song describes, those people on whom his favor rests. Will you pray with me?